Well, thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of your family for the weekend. It's been terrific. I've loved it. Uh, and if I wasn't so far away, I might come back home. But I'm a long way in Melbourne. It's great to be with you and to share with you from uh, this marvellous book, Numbers, with uh, some, well, not, not, not boring chapters, are they? This one is... You, weren't, you didn't fall asleep. Well, this is read out, I bet. So let's open our, uh, uh, our minds as you think about what this says to us as God's people. Let, let me pray for us. And thank you, Father, we can gather again together around your word. We are so thankful you are the God who speaks to us and by your word and your spirit. So please open our minds, our hearts to what you say and make our hearts tender to your word and responsive that indeed you might shape and conform us through this word to be the people you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to tell you a story about a couple called Charlotte and Brian. They met on a Christian dating website. Uh, Charlotte was a doctor. In fact, she was a surgeon, so she was quite well off. Brian was uh, unemployed. He told Charlotte that he had an IT business, but a crooked accountant ripped him off and the whole thing collapsed and he hadn't found a job since. Anyway, they fell in love, they got married, uh, Charlotte supported them, uh, Brian still couldn't find a job. He spent most of his days just playing video games. Uh, Charlotte's friends thought she married a con man, that he married her just for her money, he was a gold digger. But she assured them that he loved her and they were committed to each other. In fact, one Saturday morning, he, she was sitting with a friend over coffee and she said to her friend how much she loved Brian. In fact, she bought him for his birthday next week a Mercedes. And they planned to start a family. And she wanted to just give her life to loving Brian and serving him. Unbeknownst to her, less than a kilometre away, Brian was in a motel room with Chloe. He met Chloe in a pub. They began an affair, and Chloe asked Brian about his wife. He said, oh, don't worry about her, this silly fool. She believes all the lies I tell her. In fact, when I milk her dry, we'll take her off to the Gold Coast. So I began to siphon off my joint account money. I put down a deposit on our condo. So while Charlotte is speaking up Brian and saying how much she loves him and cares for him, he's putting her down and bedding another woman. Now, that's a pretty common story in the world of sordid human relationships and a sadly common story in the world of divine and human relationships where we too deceive and betray the God who loves us. And that, I guess, in a nutshell, is Numbers chapter 25. Another fairly confronting passage, I think, uh, full of lust, and violence, passion and pain. God's anger blazes out against his people. Moses is told to kill all the leaders of Israel. He prays the God called Phineas for spearing to death two people. And God wipes out 24,000 Israelites, all in the space of 18 verses. But it is for us, I think, an important chapter to read, to understand God to understand ourselves and understand what God delights in. Let's just put the book in some context. 
Uh, we saw last yesterday one of the dark days in Israel's history. They're on the brink of the promised land, about to enter in, and they rebel against God. They say, we want to go back to Egypt. They choose Pharaoh over Moses. They choose slavery over freedom. They choose idols over God. And so for the next 40 years, all those who did that, which is most people, die in the wilderness. We've now come full circle, back to the edge of the promised land, back to go in, back to claim their inheritance. At this point now, the scene changes. For the first time, the scene moves to the promised land, to Moab. You've heard what Israel thought about the Canaanites and their terror. What did the Canaanites think about this vast crowd on their doorstep? We read at the beginning of chapter 22, Moab was terrified of the people because they were numerous, and Moab dreaded the Israelites. So the Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde will devour everything around us like an ox eats up the green plants in the field. If only they knew that Israel, they wouldn't have been scared. Israel said, they're like, we're like grasshoppers, they'll mow us down. Little did they know, Moab was more scared of them than they were of, of Moab. They might have believed Joshua and Caleb, but they didn't. So they're just terrified Moabites. The king is Balak. He has a plan. There was back then a famous prophet called Balaam who would hire himself out to prophesy, a prophet for hire. Balak employed Balaam to come and to curse Israel for a price because, he says, they're so numerous. And chapters 22 to 24 describe Balaam's attempts, his failed attempts, to curse Israel. In fact, God stops him and he ends up blessing Israel. And it's just, you know, God says just wonderful things. Just, let's just turn, if you've got your Bible there, to chapter 24. There's a few verses there to hear what God says about Israel. Verses 5 to 6. How beautiful are your tents, Jacob, your dwelling places, Israel. Like valleys they spread out, like gardens beside a river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. Verse 9, like a lion they crouch and lie down, like a lioness who dares to rouse them. May those who bless you be blessed. May those who curse you be cursed. I, I, just, I love you so much. And I want to bless you. That's what he feels about, about Israel, his love for them. How do they feel about God? Chapter 25, verse 1. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual morality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices to their gods. That's what they thought about the Lord. So this place, called in Hebrew or called Acacia Grove or Acacia Meadows, it's there, down in the meadow, that Moab sets a honey trap. You find out later in chapter 31 that the architect of this clever plan was, in fact, Balaam, the prophet. Balaam knows the army of Israel is so large they'll never be defeated on the battlefield. So how, how can they win? They can't win in battle. 
Well, the old adage is, if you can't beat them, join them. Or in this case, have them join you. How do you get Israelite men to join a Moabite tribe? Well, the answer is as old as warfare itself. You use Moabite women. These women seduced Israelite men. They invite them around for dinner. Now remember, they've spent decades in the wilderness eating manna and quail. So the thought of a hearty meal, like we had last night in the RSL, with lovely Moabite women becomes too, too tempting to resist. And we don't need to rehearse all the sordid details of what happened. Uh, one eating meal became regular meals. And then perhaps a woman says to a man, Reuben, you don't need to go all the way back to camp tonight, just, just stay the night. And homes become cultic places, and they begin to worship the gods of Moab. And I guess the reason, you know, this, this, this Baal, he's, he's a fun god, not like our Yahweh, who's such a party pooper, all these laws, you can't eat this, you can't eat that. Surely, food, drink, sex are good gifts. Why not indulge ourselves? So what happened? Well, Israel bound itself, yoked itself, pledged itself to Baal. Spiritual and sexual betrayal. That's why verse 3 the Lord's anger burned against Israel. So while the Lord is speaking about Israel so tenderly, like Charlotte, she's bedding herself with Baal and putting him down, being unfaithful, behind his back. But of course nothing is behind the Lord's back. So we come to verses 4 and 5, and God tells Moses to kill all the leaders of Israel. Now, now, why is that? I guess because, though they weren't themselves indulged in sin, they knew what was happening, and they let it happen. They did, they did nothing. So they're culpable. I mean, if a, if a newspaper editor has journalists who are hacking celebrities on his watch, he's sacked. If a police commissioner has rampant corruption in his police force on his watch, he resigns. If a sports coach has a team where there's a drug culture, he steps down. It happened on his watch. I'm an Anglican, and right now we've had a scandal, I guess, in our church. We have an ex-archbishop, ex-governor general, you may know the name, called Peter Hollingworth. He was the Archbishop of Brisbane from 1990 to 2001. No friend of evangelicals, I can tell you. Became Governor General in 2001 till 2003. And was forced to resign. Because on his watch as Archbishop, there was a pedophile priest. And he did nothing. Well, no, he didn't do nothing. He moved him from that church to this church and let him continue and have been in tw for 20 years living in ignominy and shame. And now has had to resign what's called holy orders. If you become a priest in, the, in my church, you're given a license to preach and to run communion. 
That's now taken away from him. He's a, a layman. For a clergyman, the ultimate humiliation. But this happened. He's not a pedophile. He's not broken the law. But on his watch, he allowed a pedophile to continue. So God says, on their watch, this happened, so kill them. Now it seems that Moses lessened the command and just killed those who actually involved in the sin. He says, verse 5, kill each of the men who align themselves with the Baal of Peor. That may be why a plague breaks out amongst the people. Come to verse 6. A terrible plague. And the people realize they've been so sinful. They gather around the tabernacle, the tent we saw yesterday, and they just are overcome by guilt, and they're just weeping out loud over their sin. And at that moment, while they're weeping over sin and worshiping God, in stole this couple, Zimri and Cosby. Her name is Cosby. I find that kind of ironic. Cosby, Bill, Cosby, anyway, Cosby. And they're strolling into the camp, kissing and canoodling, hugging and smooching while the people are at worship. They go into a tent, to an inner room, I presume to a bedroom, and unbelievable. Here we are at the big weekend dinner on Sunday morning, worshipping God. Let's not be too imaginative. But a couple walk into our church and sit near the back. One of your members with his new girlfriend and they begin to hug and carry on and carry on and slip out to a back room. And while, while we're singing, take my life and let it be, they're carrying on. The brazenness, the arrogance, the contempt for the church defies belief. And this young man called Phinehas is so outraged, righteously, he left the assembly, took a spear in his hand, went into their tent, and the implication is, while they were in the very act, he plunged a spear through both of them. No arrest, no trial, you didn't need witnesses, the whole nation was witnessing this. No judge or jury, just summary execution. Then verse 8, the plague against the Israelites was stopped. Last section, there was, a, there was a death, the shedding of blood, atonement, and judgment was stopped. And God commends Phinehas for his zeal. Verse 11, he was as zealous as I am for my honor. There's a great uh, missionary in India called Henry Martin. He said once, I could not endure existence if Jesus wasn't glorified. It would be hell to me if he were always to be dishonored. And Phineas couldn't bear to see God blasphemed and maligned and dishonored. And God blesses him with peace, with shalom, for him and his descendants. And promises then to judge Moab and Midian. And we're given the names of these two people. Simri and Cosby. Their names join others in the annals of divine history. 
like Cain, like Lamech, like Achan, like Ahab and Jezebel, like Ananias and Sapphira, those then kept for history, for memory, for what they did, lest we ever do the same. There's the story. <laughs> what do we take away from this? Well, we, a lot. I want to just say two things by way of application. I'm not sure I want to hear what people say about me when I'm not around. We had for dinner last night to the RSL and I moved to a table and they said, oh, we've just been talking about you. I think it was okay. There are some folk I trust. I think I, I'm not with my wife, Sarah. I don't worry what she'll say about me when I'm not around. She'll say nice things. And my four kids will say nice things about me too. I don't worry about them. Mind you, if I became a different kind of husband or a different kind of father, they might say different things. What does God say about you, Marsville Christian Community Church? What does he say about you? What's he talk? When, in the throne room of heaven, what's he say about you? If you could have a microphone there, what would he say about you? Here's what he'd say. Psalm 16. As for the holy people in the land, they are the noble ones. All my delight is in them. I've got people I, de I delight in the names of Joel, Nate, Pippa Lauren, their wives, their kids. I delight in my kids and grandkids. Just delight in them. As God does in us. Psalm 148. He's raised up for us a horn, a strong man for his people, resulting in praise to all his godly ones, the people close to his heart. That's you. The people close to God's heart. That, that's great. You've had here in the past a picture called Ian Powell. Remember Ian Powell? Here's Ian's favourite verse in the Bible. Because you are precious in my sight and honoured and I love you, I'll give people in exchange for you and nations instead of your life. Marsfield Church, you are precious in his sight and he loves you. That's what he said about you in heaven. I love that. M mind you, if you became and I became a different kind of Christian, then he might say different things. But he loves us and wants to bless us. That's the first thing. The second is, what the Lord would give for a few more Phinehasses in his church. Now, not to do quite what he did, you know, don't pick up a spear and exercise judgment. That's for God to do, not for us to do. But for people with a bit more zeal, Paul says in Romans 12, be fervent in spirit, burn with zeal, be zealous for love, be passionate for good works, be full on to pursue holiness, be fanatical to maintain purity. 
I was preaching a few years ago in a church in Brisbane, and I discussed a little bit retirement in my sermon. And at the door, a guy shook my hand and said, you know, Mike, he's about 60, I've been retired for 24 years. Well, early 40s, oh, wow, okay. So what have you been doing? Just drifting. Just drifting for 24 years? <laughs> Be zealous. And he, no drifters here today, are there? No, there wouldn't be any drifters here. I was, I was speaking in Perth some years ago. I met a guy at an evening service. He's a Baptist pastor, about to be a pastor of a new church. He went in the morning to check out the church, their morning service. They had a guest preacher, a man in a wheelchair. And he preached a sermon. This is true. Closed in prayer, dropped dead. In the service. Now that made an impact. Well, forget that sermon. And that was, that's very sad. But, but as a preacher, I said to myself, what a way to go. Wouldn't it be great? Not right now. I mean, I'm, it's my, today's my, my 40th wedding anniversary. I want to see the 41, thank you. But, but what a way to go, to, be, to, to be die with your boots on, your guns firing, serving Jesus. That's, I, I love that. For a while, my son Joel would buy me tickets for a concert at Rodelaver Arena in Melbourne for my kind of music. So one year I went to see Paul Simon, next year Fleetwood Mac. That's, that's, that's music, right? We all know that the day the music died was about 1985. It's all been nothing since then. These were, they were great. They sang for two and a half hours, full on. Paul Simon, was, he was 74, young bloke. Mick Fleetwood, 71. Fleetwood Mac have a song called Don't Stop. <laughs> they haven't stopped for 50 years. Well, they have now because one of them has died. She stopped. But they, they just haven't stopped. And I, I, I found them, to be honest, I found them inspiring. Doing what they love full on into their 70s. Just singing songs. I thought, I'm building the kingdom. If they don't stop, how much more should I not stop? I just made a promise when I was 20. Yeah, when you're 20, you're really keen, aren't you? You, you go on camps and beach missions, and you, you do, you're really keen. Then I uh, went to uni, joined the Christian Union, got really keen. Became a school teacher, joined the ICF to evangelize the kids, really keen. Went to Pakistan at 24, really keen. When you're young, you're really keen, aren't you? When you're young. When you're 70, I knew a guy in my church in Sydney some years ago, full of stories, all 30 years old. Not a, not a modern recent story of being really keen for Jesus, all old stories. I don't want old stories when I'm 70, which is not far away. I want, I want a new story all the time. Beloved, be zealous till the end. Be a Phinehas, zealous for the Lord's honour and fame and name. Don't have old stories. We see finally in Numbers 25, a picture of the gospel. There's sin, lust, betrayal, idolatry, immorality. There's wrath. God's anger bursts out 
and all the spoils is creation. And there's atonement, the shedding of blood, the death of the guilty ones satisfied God's wrath and the people are spared. A zealous priest, passionate for God's glory, makes a sacrifice and sin is atoned for. But of course the gospel is that the true priest Jesus, zealous for his father's glory, became the sacrifice. He became sin. He became Zimri and Cosby. And the spear was thrust into his side. For us, that wrath could be atoned for and we could be free. That's why we sing. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, and can it be that I should gain an interest in my Saviour's blood, died he for me? How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Sent from heaven, God's own Son, to purchase and redeem and reconcile the very ones who nailed him to the tree. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, our burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away our sin. Then sings our souls, our Saviour God to thee, how great thou art. How great thou art. O beloved of the Lord, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that in your sight we are your precious ones, the ones who bring you delight, the apple of your eye. We don't deserve your love and grace, your desire to bless us, but you've given us to us abundantly. So please keep us from this kind of awful betrayal. Please keep us zealous for your glory and to live lives that redound to your praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus is saying.